The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, Fountain of Life. Uh, oh, how we miss you. Wish we could be together. Um, but still so thankful to be able to share this moment together, um, knowing that even though we're separated by distance, uh, we're united in Christ and His Holy Spirit is with us. Before we hit God's Word together, um, let's just take a moment, can we, to be still, uh, to pray, to center our minds and our hearts on the Lord. So we just pray with me. Uh, let's seek our God together. Heavenly Father, we just want to start by praising you for who you are. You are holy, you're set apart, you're righteous, you're faithful, you're just, you're loving, you're wise, you're powerful. We praise you, God, that you are sovereign and in control, and we submit to you, we surrender to you, and we pray that you would be glorified in us and through us and in the world. Lord, your word tells us to be thankful always and to come to you with prayer. So we, we do, we want to thank you uh, for all your goodness to us. We thank you for even this season of COVID-19 and how you are indeed using it for our good. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for how uh, the church is growing, how our faith is growing, um, how your word is spreading. We praise you for the peace and strength that we have from knowing you. We also thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we come confessing our sins. God, we confess how we haven't loved you as we should. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. We flirted with the things of the world. We've been full of anxiety. We've been bitter. Direct our hearts towards you, and, and here's where we, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your son so that through him we could have eternal life with you. We thank you that he lived a perfect life. And as we repent of our sins and trust in him, he gives us that righteousness. It's free. It's a gift. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. Every sin of all your people, past, present, and future, paid for. We thank you. We thank you that he rose from the dead. And that's just the vindication of what he's done and the promise that he's going to return. He's going to renew all things. We thank you. Lord, we pray for the comfort we need. We pray for the provision we need. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are grieving. We pray for those who've lost their jobs. God, we pray for those who are hurting in a million ways, who are afraid, who are worried. Lord, be our strength, be our comfort, be our wisdom. Um, we pray for healing for our land. We pray for leaders, Lord. Uh, leaders of nations, of states, of cities. God, we pray for integrity. We pray for wisdom. We pray for unity. We pray for love. Lord, deliver us from this pandemic. We want to meet together again as your people. Give us unity in your church. Help us unite on who Jesus is and what he's done. Hold us together and help us now, God, as we come before your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, church, it's very exciting. Today we get to talk about the Antichrist. And so I wonder, as, uh, as I say that word, Antichrist, what comes to your mind when you think of the Antichrist? 
I imagine some of you envision maybe a shadowy political figure uses conspiracy to control the nation, bring global persecution against Christians, and all this right before the end of the world. And you're probably aware how much people love this stuff. It's the stuff of book series and movies and maps and charts and dates and theories. And it's easy to think, especially in troubled times, maybe we're in the last hour. Maybe this is that moment right before the end. Maybe now is when the Antichrist is coming. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. I'm pretty sure Christians here and there have been wondering that for centuries. Our text this morning, however, gives us maybe a little bit of a different perspective on how to understand this idea of the Antichrist. This morning, we're continuing our series through the letter of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. So 1 John chapter 2, 18 to 27, you want to get your Bible out, follow along with us. Just as you're turning there, I wonder if the Apostle John who wrote this letter, if he were here today, I wonder what he might say about the Antichrist. He might say something like this, friends, what if I told you the last hour, the end times, it's not necessarily something that's going to start tomorrow. What if I told you, he might say, it started almost 2,000 years ago? Or he might say, John might say if he was here, what if I told you the Antichrist has been coming ever since then? What if, John might say, in a way, in a way the Antichrist is here? all around us, and even sometimes, at least when COVID-19 quarantine is not in effect, he's even sometimes at church. As our text for this morning will show us, that is in fact the case. The Antichrist is not tomorrow's news. It's old news. It's today's news. It's always news. As we'll see, when it comes to the strange idea of the Antichrist, the most important issue for us as God's people is not discovering the hidden leader of tomorrow. The main issue is getting really, really clear regarding what you believe about the person of Jesus Christ. That's what's important here. So let's look at our text. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 18 to 27. This is God's word. John writes, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is God's word. We remember as we come back into 1 John that this letter is mainly about assurance. Assurance gets at the answering this all-important question, how can you know that you really know the real God? How can you know he knows you, you know him, you're in fellowship, you're good together, you're in relationship? How can you have that confidence that you're his? John wants you to have that confidence, and so he gives clarity. He's kind of given four criterion or tests so you can objectively measure yourself and, and, kind of, and hopefully come to the conclusion that says, I'm a Christian. I know this. So let's just remember what those four tests or criterion have been. One was you have to have some honesty about your sin. right? We, we've seen it. If, you, if anyone claims to be without sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And so one test of knowing that you're a Christian is that you're, you're honest about your sin and your need for Jesus. A second test was practical love for other Christians. Uh, there's no way in John's mind that we can know God's love for us and not also practically love his people. So that's a test of being a Christian. Do you practically love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Third, how do you know you've known God's love and love God? Well, you're going to want to show your love for God in, in, in obeying his commands. So it's a desire to move forward in obedience. So there's three so far. Honest confession of sin. Practical love for other Christians. Love for God is shown by your desire to obey him. But there was one other test, and really it's the foundational test. It's the primary test. It's the, it's the one um, that we have to stand on and start on. And this test is the doctrinal test. It's the test of what you believe. Specifically, it's the test of what you believe about Jesus. The New Testament's clear. In order to know God, you have to believe and trust the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as we get to this section in 1 John, we're having another look at that doctrinal test. How do you know you're a Christian based on what you believe about Jesus? And so, uh, as you probably heard as I read the text, there's a lot in here. I can't cover every single detail in the way I want to this morning. But here's what I think we need to do. First, I'm going to give you some background on what Antichrist is and why it matters. What is Antichrist all about? Why does it matter? And then, I think the heart of this text, three ways to respond to the reality of the Antichrist in our lives. Three ways to respond. So those three ways are these. Number one, Christians need to remember what they know about the times. Number two, Christians need to rely on what they know about the truth. And number three, Christians need to resolve to abide in the truth that they know. So here's what we're doing. We're thinking about the Antichrist and the reality of that spirit, that influence in our lives. We want to understand that. 
And then after we understand that, we're going to learn to respond to that reality in three ways. Again, remember what you know about the times, rely on what you know about the truth, and resolve to abide in the truth that you know. So we've got our work cut out for us today. I hope you're ready. Let's dive in. Let's think, first of all, about what the Antichrist is all about. And I was thinking about, okay, if we're unpacking Antichrist, wouldn't, be, wouldn't the best way to approach this be to first think about Christ? Let's remember Christ. I'll ask you this question. How would you answer it? Who is Jesus? And how is it possible that you could know him? Who is Jesus and how is it possible that you would know him? And I'm reminded of this fundamental verse in 1 John. And we've looked at it before. Remember 1 John 5.13. This is why John is writing this letter. This is what John says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the what? In the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Let's, just, let's read that again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So, a few things to remember here, to see from this verse. Number one, you can absolutely know Jesus personally to such an extent that he gives you his eternal life. So that is an incredible knowledge. It's relational, it's powerful, it's transformational. You can know him. But, wouldn't you agree we don't know Jesus in the same exact way as we know, say, a friend or a neighbor? Um, with, a, with a normal human friend, you got to know them by what? You, you got to know them by uh, looking in their eyes, sitting around talking with them, doing things with them over time. You don't exactly get to drive over to Jesus' house and hang in his backyard with him in the same way. How do you get to have this real knowledge of Jesus? And the answer to that is, he has to reveal his name to you. He has to reveal his name to you. First of all, let's unpack that. With Jesus, you know him first through the testimony of his apostles. Jesus' apostles were eyewitnesses to his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teaching. And they were divinely led and inspired by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to the world. And we know what they taught in the scriptures in the New Testament. And there's no other trustworthy source on how to know who Jesus is or what he's like than this word from the apostles. So again, I'm saying that to know Jesus personally, you have to know and believe, as John says, in his name. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you just stand there and say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the vocal pronunciation of the Jesus. It's more than that. Throughout the Bible, God reveals himself in his name. It's, it's not a video. It's not ultimately an experience. It's a revelation to the mind on God's character and what God is like, his name. It's God's own description of who he is 
that enables you to know and have a relationship with him. We're reminded here, you can't on your own discover God, and you dare not on your own invent God. He's got to reveal himself to you, and he does so by telling you his name. And so again, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the what? The name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Life comes from believing in the name of Jesus. And here's what we mean by that. His name defines him. It tells you who he is. It gives you uh, boundaries on this is Jesus. It's who he is and it's who God has revealed him to be through his word. Therefore, the Antichrist denies Jesus by changing his name. 1 John 2, 22. Who is the liar but he who, what? Denies that Jesus is the Christ. John did not say that the Antichrist denies Jesus. He could have. But the funny thing is most Antichrists, they say they like Jesus. They just change his name. In other words, they change the description of who he is. So first, before we understand Antichrist, we've got to understand Christ. The liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That means the truth is that Jesus is the Christ. That's who he is. That's his name. That's, that's how you, to know him as the Christ is how you know him relationally. To know him for who he is is how you have eternal life. It's so important. So if I was going to ask you to unpack Christ, how would you do that? What does that mean? Well, it's not his last name, right? Jesus Christ. No, it's a title. It's a title. What's the the nutshell of that title, the core meaning on who Jesus is? I want to give you three aspects that I think are essential, and I think they're in John's mind. I hope to show you that. Three aspects on what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. Number one, for Jesus to be the Christ, for him to have that as his name means this. Jesus is eternal God. He is truly God. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This, is, this has been this apostle's proclamation from the beginning. It's in his gospel. It's in his letters to the church. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Here John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who's the Word? It's Jesus. He's the revelation of God. That's Jesus. And he was in the beginning. That's a reference to Genesis 1-1. That means he was eternally always there. Moreover, he was with God and he was God. Which means in his essence, he is fully divine. He is truly God. Moreover, he's with God. That points us to what we call the Trinity, the triune reality of God. The Son was with the Father from all eternity and is truly God. Moreover, all things were made through him. He's the creator God. And when John says without him was not anything made that was made, he is saying very clearly, Jesus was not made. 
He is not created. He is the creator. He is truly God in every way. Jesus spoke of himself in this way. I'll just give you one example of thousands probably. John chapter 8 verse 56. He's in this, Jesus is in this discourse with religious leaders of the day. Jesus says in John 8 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> so Jesus is speaking as if he's been kicking it with Abraham somehow. And he saw Abraham's response to the reality that Jesus would come. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? How old are you? Jesus says in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, <laughs> so long before Jesus is there in that first century, what, I don't know, 1,700 years? Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am that's God's name for himself. I am eternal, sufficient. I always am. And Jesus says, that's my name. I'm God. And in verse 59, the Jewish leaders pick up stones to throw at him. They understood exactly what he meant. He claimed to be God. And they thought that to be blasphemy and wanted to kill him. Do you hear this first reality about Jesus? Who is he? He is truly God, eternal God, the eternal Son of the Father. Second aspect to Jesus being the Christ. Jesus is truly man. He's truly human. Back to John's gospel. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, remember in, earlier in the chapter, is the Word who was with God, who was God, who created all things. John 1, 14. That same Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the eternal Son of God took on a human nature and became truly man. He was flesh and blood, he ate and drank, he was tired, he slept, he had friends, he was a baby, he grew, he's human, truly human. And this reminds us of what John said in his epistle, chapter 1, verse 1, 1 John 1, 1, John had written, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest, we've seen it. He's saying the eternal son of God, the eternal life came and became human. First two aspects to Jesus being the Christ. He's truly God. He's truly human. Third aspect now. Jesus is the promised king according to the scriptures. He's the promised king according to the scriptures. What I mean here is Jesus didn't come out of nowhere claiming to be a new God. If you remember our sermon series through, um, through Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, we saw John say in his gospel over and over again, everything Jesus was doing fulfilled the scriptures. It fulfilled the scriptures. It fulfilled the scriptures. So God has been promising from the beginning that this one, this king will come, and through this king in the line of Abraham, in the line of David, through this king he will save his people and judge and renew the world. The king is coming, I promise, God is saying. And Jesus has shown that he's the fulfillment to all of those promises. He's God's promised king. And this is how we understand what he came to do. Again, here's just, we could look at a lot of places. Here's one place to show you. Luke 24, 
verses 44 to 48. Luke 24, 44 to 48. This is what Jesus said about himself. Luke 24, 44, then he said to him, these are my words that I spoke, with you, spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, remember that's who Jesus is, should what? Suffer on the cross. On the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his what? His name. To all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. You see what Jesus is saying about himself? I am the promised king according to the scriptures. And that shows you about who I am in the life that I live. That shows you about who I am and my death on the cross and what I accomplished. That shows you the meaning of my resurrection in victory, my reign forever. I'm the Christ, Jesus says, the promised king according to the scriptures. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He's the Christ. What does that mean? It means at least these three core things. He's truly God. He's the eternal son of God. Number two, He's truly human. He took on human nature to represent us. Number three, he's the promised king according to the scriptures. That's who Jesus is. Now you begin to see what Antichrist then is all about. 1 John 2.22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father And the Son. Friends, almost never do people say, I hate Jesus, there's no Jesus. Almost never. They just give a new way of looking at Jesus. And and in doing so, they deny ways that he's the Christ. Number one, as we've seen already, John says they deny the Father and the Son. Do you see that? They're already denying the relationship between the eternal son and his father, denying his divinity. Uh, there's another uh, place in 1 John, 1 John 4, verses 2 to 3. Look what John says about the Antichrist there. By this you know, 1 John 4, 2, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So a lot of scholars think that in John's day when he's writing these letters, he's dealing with early Gnosticism. And that was the idea of this special, hyper-spiritual knowledge that goes beyond or apart from the revelation of God in the New Testament. And some of those people were saying, as we see here, oh, that Jesus wasn't fully human, the, the Jesus consciousness or spirituality came on this man, but he, but he wasn't fully human in himself. They deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. And what, is, what does John call that? Antichrist. And don't you see, when, when you deny his divinity, his true divinity, when you deny his humanity, you're also going to deny his work. 
if Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, then he's not really the promised king from the line of David and the line of Abraham. And he didn't really die for your sin. And he didn't really rise from the dead. He didn't really fulfill God's promises. And the entire gospel is warped and lost. So friends, we're trying to unpack what Antichrist is all about. And what we're seeing is that Antichrist doesn't deny Jesus per se. They just want to fill his name with new meaning. Antichrist say things like this. We like Jesus. But uh, let's change something about his divinity. He's not truly God. We like Jesus, but let's change something about his humanity. He he wasn't truly human. He didn't come in the flesh. Or, we like Jesus, but let's change something about him as the promised king. He didn't really die for, him for sin. He didn't really rise from the dead. He doesn't really reign forever. He won't really return. Antichrists take the name and fill it with new meaning. And in doing so, they deny the person of Christ. Now, some of you might say, man, you're getting too theological. You're just nitpicking. I think it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. John is saying if you deny something about who Jesus is, you forfeit the person of Jesus and what he's done. Let me try out an illustration on you. Say uh, COVID-19 is over and uh, you have me over for dinner at your place with my wife. And I come with this lady and I call her Marsha, Marsha Ford. And I talk about how I love her and she's a wonderful wife. And you look at me cross-eyed, because the woman I'm with is tall, blonde, with blue eyes, wearing high heels. I say, Marsha, it's my wife. Marsha, Marsha Ford. Don't you love Marsha Ford? You'll get angry, you'll cringe, you'll throw your coffee in my face, and you should. Because those of you who know my Marsha know that even though I was using the right name, I was denying the real person. In a way, I'm saying the right thing. Oh, it's my wife. It's Marcia. But I've betrayed the real Marcia. Wouldn't that be awful for me to do? You're disgusted by the idea. It's worse to do it to Jesus. It's worse. And this is what antichrists do. Again, hardly anyone from any religious perspective claims to hate Jesus outright. What do they say? Jesus is great. He's a great example. He's a great leader. He's spiritual. He's enlightened. He gives good advice. They use his name, but they change the meaning of the name. They deny that he's the Christ. They change something regarding his true divinity, his humanity, his identity as a promised king according to the scriptures. And we could literally find countless examples. Let me give you one. Gandhi, heard of him? He's kind of famous pop culture quote. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. So Gandhi meant, hey, Jesus is nice. He helped the poor. Christians are jerks. But you know what else Gandhi said? Gandhi said, I cannot ascribe exclusive divinity to Jesus. You know what that means, friends? He might not like Christians, and maybe we deserve that sometimes. But let's be clear. He didn't like our Christ either. Because the Christ he said he liked was a Christ of his own invention and no true Christ at all. And John would say, 
That's the voice of Antichrist. Nearly everyone fills the right name, Jesus, with the wrong meaning. And so they come to the party with the right name, but the wrong husband. Deepak Chopra, popular spiritual teacher, favorite of Oprah Winfrey. Deepak says, I see Christ as a state of consciousness we can all aspire to. So there Jesus represents a spiritual state of consciousness we can all share as we learn that we're gods too. We like Jesus Christ. That's not the Christ. That's the Antichrist. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is a created spiritual being. He became a a man. He's not eternal God. It's not Jesus. Mormons. Jesus was not truly God, a man who became one of many gods. Buddhism, Jesus was an enlightened man like Buddha. Hinduism, he's one of many incarnations of many gods. Islam, he's a man, he's a prophet, inferior to Muhammad. All by John's definitions, all of these voices are antichrist. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a radical here or unloving. I'm trying to be loving by being honest. Listen, if you take the quality of being truly God away from someone? Haven't you invented an entirely different person? I mean, isn't that kind of a massive category of who someone is? God versus not God? And to look at Jesus and say, we like him as a good teacher, but not the divine king. It's not Jesus you're talking about anymore. The Dalai Lama Jesus was a fully enlightened being of a very high spiritual realization. How about this one? Thomas Jefferson. Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the son of God. Antichrist. How about this movement in our day? Liberal progressive Christianity. Mainline denominations questioning the virgin birth. Questioning Jesus' miracles, questioning Jesus' atonement for sin on the cross, and yet claiming Jesus Christ. An old theologian, H. Richard Niebuhr, said this. He said, This liberal, progressive Christianity, this is what they want. He said, They want a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through, a, through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. And let's be clear, that Christ is no Christ at all. It's the Antichrist. And as you see, Antichrist is everywhere. You take the right name and you infuse it with the wrong meaning. And you say you like the person, but in doing so, you deny the person. Because you deny he's truly God. You deny he's truly man. You deny he's God's promised king according to God's scriptures. And here the light might come on for you. Some of you, uh, maybe you've recently become a Christian. You remember when you became a Christian, you realized before that moment? Guess who was Antichrist? You were. Some of you might just have the light go off right now. You might be thinking, I am sitting here right now. That's me. So, trying to unpack Antichrist. What do they want to do? They want to deny the person of Jesus by denying these core truths of his name. He's truly divine. He's truly human. He's God's promised king according to the scriptures. 
how do we respond to that? Now I want to unpack the rest of this text. Three ways to respond to this. Number one, Christians, when you encounter this Antichrist, and what is that again? It's this message changing who Jesus is. When you encounter that, what do we do? Number one, remember what you know about the times. 1 John 2, 18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists has come. Therefore, we know. What do we know? It's the last hour. What does that mean, the last hour? Well, the New Testament writers um, believe that with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we have hit the last major chapter in the story God is writing. We're in that last moment of mission when the gospel needs to go out. And the very next thing to happen is the return of Christ. So we're in the last hour. Now, we've been in that hour for about 2,000 years. You might say that's a long hour. Well, it is. The point is an hour as in 60 minutes. The point is we're just on the edge of the next chapter on what God's going to do. Jesus is going to come back. All of God's promises in Christ have been fulfilled. That's the next moment. And Jesus said that in this time, a major thing we could expect would be false messages about who he is. Let's remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 8. Matthew 24, 4 to 8. This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, see that no one, does what? Leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. I love that. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdoms. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, a few things to notice from this scripture. Number one, Jesus, all these things are scary. <laughs> and you're saying not to be alarmed. That kind of sounds like a little bit like a time we're in right now. Don't be alarmed. Why? The key word must, these must take place, which means Jesus is saying, I'm in control. I'm in control. I've got this. But a major emphasis for our study today, what did he say would come? Many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and they'll lead many people astray. John is echoing this idea and saying, church, the reality that so many people are claiming Jesus but changing the meaning of his name is proof to you that the next step is his return. Don't be alarmed. Remember what you know about the times. And they might be sitting there saying, I didn't know that about the times. Well, Christians know it. Christians have known it. Remember what we know. There will be false Christs. Don't be alarmed. And this much have helped the church John's writing to so deeply. Remember some of what they're facing. Look back at 1 John 2, 19. John writes about this group of people who left these churches and were trying to deceive the church. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. 
You see this? This is a group of people, leaders in these churches, start filling the name of Jesus with new meaning. He's not divine. He's not human. He's not God's promised king. And they ended up leaving the church. Down in verse 26, we see they're trying to deceive the church. They're trying to change the church by changing the news of who Jesus is. And John says, hey, church, this is normal. Take a deep breath. It's normal. The fact that everyone wants to change who Jesus is gives you confidence that you know the real Christ. Have you ever wondered why every cult wants to have Jesus on their team but change who he is? Have you ever, you ever wondered why, why, why everybody on TV wants to claim Jesus as, a, as a, some sort of good leader example, but they want to change who he is? Isn't that strange? It's proof that the true Jesus, the one who's divine, that's human, that's God's promised king, he's the real thing. Let's so take a deep breath and remember, it's the last hour. God's in control. The next chapter, Jesus comes back. Second thing to do when you encounter this spirit of the Antichrist that wants to change the message of who Jesus is, second thing to do, rely on what you know about the truth. Let's look here at 1 John. Uh, I'm, I'm taking this from verses 20 to 24. Look first at verse 24. John says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He's thinking about that original gospel. The Father sent his eternal Son to become truly man who lived a perfect life with no sin. He died on the cross for us in our place. In our humanity, he's our representative. In our divinity, he pays an infinite in his divinity, he pays an infinite price. He rose from the dead, all according to the scriptures. Believe in him, you won't perish, but have eternal life. It's the original gospel. Let, John says, what you heard from the beginning abide in you. The best thing to keep you from the deceit of the Antichrist is to have this wonderful, fresh love for the Christ. But John is saying, if you, if you know what you, that, what we heard from the beginning, rely on that. Look at verses 20 to 21. John says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. What's he saying? Remember Antichrist, they're trying to change view of who Jesus is. And John says, you know what's from the beginning. And then he says, you've been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. What does John mean? Is he saying, well, there's no need for me to teach you anything at all ever again because you already know everything. No, because if that was the case, why write the letter? He's not saying you never need to learn more. What he's saying is, if you know who Jesus is as the Christ, you already know the core. You know the core. And the reason you know that, in verse 20, you've been anointed by the Holy One. Friends, having Jesus, the true Christ, as your Christ, is not only a matter of believing true facts about him. It is. That's where it starts. It is important. But the, the reality that you would cling to that is because you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who put in you this need for Christ and this trust in the biblical Christ and this love for the Christ who is fully God, who is truly human, who is God's promised king. If you love that and believe that, it's because the Holy Spirit put that on you 
and put that in you. And you remember, the Father sent His Son to earn your salvation, and the Son sent the Spirit to apply your salvation. You know Him. You know the true God as you trust in the true Christ. And you see why this is so important. 1 John 2, 22-23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And now this, this crazy verse, verse 23. Look, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The only way to really know the real God is to really trust yourself to the real Christ, the Christ who is truly God, truly human, and God's promised king according to the scriptures. And if we deny that, we deny the real God and do not know him. Why is the line, why is the line, why is the line drawn so, so hard right here? Why, why? Why is who Jesus is so important? There's a lot of ways I could answer that question. Uh, look with me real quick. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. There the author of Hebrews writes, Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see all these core ingredients to Jesus being the Christ, don't you? Truly God, to the point where he's the radiance of the Father. In Jesus, we see the Father. We see that Jesus is truly God in the fact that he is the beloved son. He is the son the Father loves. We see that he's truly human and that he made purification for sins on the cross and that he's the Father's plan for salvation and now he sits as the king, exalted king at the Father's right hand. So here's why if you deny Jesus, you deny the Father. If you say Jesus isn't truly God, you're saying he's not the Father's radiance, but he is. If you deny Jesus as the cross, Christ, you're denying the Father's beloved eternal Son. If you deny Jesus as the promised King who died and rose for sin, to save us from our sins, you're denying the Father's plan of salvation. To deny Jesus is to deny the Father, his character, his delight, and his plan in every way. That's why. That's why you can't claim to love God and deny the Christ. That's why. And you realize when we deny the person of Jesus, um, we do something right then to religion. We do something. You know, some of you could say... Um, Hey, isn't that exclusive to say the only way to get to God is through Jesus? And, and in a way, yeah, it is. Now, it's not exclusive in the sense that it's offered to everyone. 
And here's where I'd want to flip that back on you, maybe. If Jesus isn't the only way to the Father, what is the way to salvation? You know, every one of those voices I quoted from, they're all going to say the way to salvation is your good works. That's exclusive. Because what about people like me who aren't good? What about the screw-ups and the mess-ups and the ones who don't have it all together? They're excluded. And you've created a system, one with no divine Christ, no truly human Christ, no Christ who dies on the cross for sins. And if you don't have him, your salvation is up to you. And you better do it right. And if you do it right, you can be uh, entitled and self-righteous that you did it right and other people didn't. And if you didn't do it right, there's no hope for you. And you're excluded. But friends, when you have the Christ, who's truly God, who's truly human, who lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross in your place, and rose from the dead in victory, and now reigns and advocates for you before the Father and will return from you, you can actually know that you're saved. (laughs) Because it's based on his work and not your own. John is saying to the church, rely on what you know about the truth. Cling to that beautiful, unimprovable, original gospel with our wonderful Christ. You can't improve on the real Jesus. And you can't improve on the salvation he offers. So remember what you know about the times. Rely on what you know about the truth. The last thing to do is to resolve to abide in the truth that you know. Let's look now again at verses 24 to 27. Let what you heard from the beginning, what? Abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught, to you, taught you, abide in him. Did you see the repetition of one word? I think it was five times. What was it? Abide. 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 What's that mean? It's to be held by something. It's to be kept by something. It's to continually stay with something. It's to stay put. It's to hang on. It's to be anchored in. It's to say, I'm not moving anywhere else. It's like your guts abide in your body. It's like throughout the day, your body abides in your clothes. Walk with me here to see what's abiding where. Verse 24, make sure the message, what you heard from the beginning, abides in you. Are you clinging to the beauty of the gospel? Read 1 Corinthians 15 today. And what we ought to do with the gospel and what the gospel is. Hang on to it. Hang on to it. See Jesus there again. He's truly God who became truly man to be the promised king who saves you. Abide there. Abide in the message. What's amazing is that, verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, and if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, the gospel, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. Isn't it amazing? 
It's the message that gets you to the relationship. It's the revelation of the name of who Jesus is and what he's done and trusting in that that gets you to the person of the Father and the person of his Son. You abide in God himself as you cling to the gospel. Knowing him through the message gets you his eternal life, his light, his love, his glorious ways. That's why, folks, it's a demonic thing. Verse 26, there will always be people trying to deceive you about who Jesus is. If who Jesus is and what he's done is everything, then what do you think the one thing the devil would want to twist is? Just who Jesus is and what he's done. Abide in the message. Don't let go. Verse 27. The anointing that you received from him abides in you. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit who comes and opens your mind and your heart to the message of who Jesus is. And his work and his power is in you as you trust the gospel. Oh, that's awesome. God himself is abiding in you as you abide in him and abide in his message. Again, uh, you have no need that anyone should teach you. He's not saying you never learn anything new about Christianity. He's saying, not that you don't need to learn more. He's saying that if you trust the Christ, the true Christ, you already know the core. His anointing teaches you about everything as you're in Christ. You see more and more of God and what he's doing and what he will do. Abide, he says, in him. I want you to notice something. What does the anointing of the Spirit really do? Does it take you to something new and innovative that you've never heard before? Does does the Spirit take you to a new message about Christ and how to experience him? A new experience out there somewhere. Is that what the Spirit does? The Spirit gives you a fresh love, not for something new, but a fresh love for the beauty of the old, a fresh love for the gospel, the gospel of our true Christ, the Lord Jesus. The Spirit will always have you emphasizing the message of who Jesus is and what he's done. So abide in him. Abide in him, church. Know who Jesus is. Know who he is, truly God. Truly, man, the promised king, according to the scriptures, came to save you from your sins. So what do we do with this? Well, if you're not a Christian this morning and you have made your way all the way through this sermon, first of all, I just want to give you props. (laughs) That's impressive to me. Um, But I guess the big question would be, who is Jesus to you? And is the Jesus you have in mind, as that name comes into your ears, the actual Jesus? Is it the true person of Jesus? If you're not sure, seek him out. Seek him out. Read the New Testament. Ask questions. Hey, write me. I would love to talk with you about this. Email at folfcrc.com. Any of you have questions about anything I've said this morning, write in. I'd love to talk with you about this. But you've got to answer this question. Who is the real Jesus? And the scriptures will show you he's truly God, truly man and God's promised king. Here's the beauty of this, though. In the midst of all the Antichrists out there, guess what we realize? 
Jesus saves antichrists. Jesus saves antichrists. Jesus saves those who've denied him. Jesus saves those who've demeaned him. And Jesus brings them to himself. If that's been you, the invitation, come. Come and trust the Christ. If you are a Christian, you need to abide. You need to abide in him. What's one way to do that? Church. Did you see what this group of people did when they left the message of Jesus? They left Jesus' people. They left his people. There's a connection here between the true Jesus and his true church. Jesus' people will abide with Jesus' people. Stay close. We stay close to Jesus together. That's a challenge during these times. That's a challenge. So I want to ask you, are you using the resources you can to continue to abide in Christ with Christ's people? And what would that mean for you? What would that mean for you? Hold each other up. Cling to Jesus together. My, my friends, the biggest deal right now is always the biggest deal. It's not COVID-19, it's not the economy, it's not freedom. Those are big deals, they're not the biggest deal. The Antichrist isn't really concerned with any of those things. You know what he wants? He wants to change your view of who Jesus is. Remember what you know about the times. Rely on what you know about the truth and resolve to abide in the truth that you know. Because there's no one better than our Christ. He's God who became human to fulfill all of God's promises in the scriptures and save us from our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the revelation of who he is. So clear, so beautiful. And God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and opens our eyes and changes our hearts to see and to believe. And so I pray, Lord, that anyone listening to the sound of my voice right now, that your spirit would work right there and that you would turn hearts to that real Jesus, the true one, the biblical one, and that through trust in that message, people would come to know you as their father. Uh, they would trust in what he's done on the cross for forgiveness of sins, for justification, being made right with you, for adoption, to be brought in as your children. That the power of the Holy Spirit would just um, confirm to them the truth of who Jesus is. And Lord, keep us. Keep us as your people. Keep us founded on this wonderful message of the real Christ. And we can't wait till he returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.